generosity, you know, the series itself, uh, this idea of overflow, it, it really had to do with generosity. And we were sort of conceiving that when we started, we were talking about, hey, what do we think God might want to say to us? And, and to just the, the church and the community. And we said, you know, this idea of overflow, generosity flowing out of our lives, being a blessing, it really does connect. I think a lot of us, from a general sense, generosity is a really accessible theme. I mean, we can talk about, you know, helping, blessing, being a part of an expression that, you know, in a way brings life to other people. So from a general standpoint, I think generosity is a very accessible theme. But as we sat with it, you know, because we had, again, this is like right now we're in the midpoint of the six-part series. And as we sat with it and we were talking about it, we also thought, you know, if, we, if we're going to, we felt led, and we really did, that if we're going to talk about this idea of generosity, we were going to have also need to talk about Christian giving. Specifically, we're going to need to talk a little bit about money. And so I have to be quite honest with you that, um, and then when we started talking, they said, you know, you know the, the conclusion was that I was, that was my piece. And in all honesty, I mean, I said, you know, part of me went, the coward in me part, said, why do I have to be the guy who does that part? You know, um, there's a lot of stereotypes to go along with that. And, and why can't, you know, I'm the boss. Why can't we just have Pastor Lewis do it? You know, that part. <laughs> and, and part of me wanted to actually, you know, de- delegate that out and say, you know, I don't want to be put in with the, this stereotypical, you know, kind of televangelism. We want your money stuff. And uh, maybe part of that is just because, you know, I, I've grown up in the city and I've seen the stuff myself. And it, honestly, it's, it's just you feel awful about it. At the same time, as I was reflecting on it, and I, I really do, this is, this is truthful. I mean, I hope I'm always truthful, but like, this is truthful. Um, I really felt like the Lord said, you know what? You don't want to do this. I said, ah, yeah, you need, you need to be okay with being undignified. Don't be afraid to be a fool for me even. You know, and I sat with that, and I was like, well, I don't want to, oh, you know, okay, I, I, do you believe, I believe, in, I believe in the principle of giving, I believe in the promises of the Lord, I believe in what Jesus taught us, I believe that also the, the purpose of, for which our church exists is part of an expression of grace to this city that I know he loves. We get to be a part of seeing people healed, saved, helped, um, encouraged, strengthened in their faith, it's part of what we do, I believe in those things not to be ashamed of those things. And we were also talking about last week about how, you know, I didn't, didn't want to, remember I we had fun with this, but I said, you know, we got to be careful about being a nominal Christian, a nominal, nominal believer. So you imagine introducing yourself, hey, I'm a nominal believer, you know, and we, we, we kind of did that lighthearted, in a lighthearted way. But a nominal means in name only or just a small amount. I thought, you know what, Lord, I know you don't want, you don't want us to be nominal. I know you don't want, want me to be a nominal pastor. You, that's, I know that. So the Lord doesn't want us to be nominal in our faith. He, he doesn't even, I, I actually think he, he wants us to even be better than solid. I was talking to someone. I said, you know what? He said, he was, quote, he was looking back to what we said. He goes, are you saying I'm nominal? I said, no, I'm saying you're on your way to becoming phenomenal, right? And I said, I think that's what God wants all of us to be. Because if you look up phenomenal, it basically means, you know, good and great, um, impressive in a, in, a, in a good sort of way, right? An unusual way 
of impressiveness. I think God really does want us to be that. And in so many ways, this whole piece in Corinthians is about the Apostle Paul trying to appeal to a church to be phenomenal in their faith, and particularly as it relates to their giving. He wanted them to step forward and demonstrate the reality of their faith in a far more than just mediocre fashion. And I do recall my grandfather would say to me, and I know that we all have people in our lives who have affected our faith. I don't think any of us are self-made ever in the Lord. I do not believe that. We're a product of prayer or someone else's influence or a number of people who've become part of the story of our faith life. And even now, there might be um, people that are coming to your mind, sometimes mothers, grandmothers, fathers, you know, friends, people who crossed our paths and it wasn't a coincidence, whose prayers were sent ahead of us and our lives have been affected by it. We do not know all the good that we will ultimately do for the Lord and we do not know all the effect that other people's decisions have had on our own life with God. We're part of a far more intricate story that is interwoven at so many different levels. And what Paul was trying to get at to the Corinthian church was that he was trying to tell them, look, I want you to be part of a larger story of what God is doing. Specifically, he had, it had to do with that fund we've been talking about that's being addressed in 2 Corinthians 9 here. Last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians 8. And again, Paul was writing to believers. So he was writing to people who were pretty much committed in their faith. I say that because if, I realize that not everyone of us is necessarily even there, right? Some of us might be in process. Some of us might be exploring. Some of us might have just begun our walk with Jesus. Sometimes things can be a little bit more um, hard to understand or appreciate, but at the same time, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to people who are clearly committing themselves as believers. The Corinthian church was a prosperous church. If I can, I'll ask them if they could put up that, that map real quick, again, just to give context to what we're looking at. But you can see in Corinth where it's located, the, see where Jerusalem is. In the, Jerusalem in the east had been the epicenter of the, of, the faith, of, the, of the spreading of the faith in Jesus. I mean, the message that was taken was taken from Jerusalem. That was the mother church. It all began there. The apostles, the believing community of Jewish believers in Jesus as Messiah came to a place where, and this, it happened, as some of us may know, when the chief persecutor of the early movement of the way of Jesus was, was just had his life overturned. And Saul of Tarsus went from being the number one despiser and disbeliever in Jesus to its chief radical proponent. And he persuaded the church that the, the Lord wanted them to send him and a team out to found churches in the Gentile communities. And the Roman, uh, the Roman world allowed for transportation and the movement of the gospel in ways that previously hadn't been possible. Paul takes that message, you can see, he takes it to Greece, Asia Minor, what we call modern-day Turkey and Greece. And, the, and Corinth was a prosperous city. It was a lot like San Francisco, very well-to-do. Uh, a very sensual city. It, uh, the believer, Paul was amazed because there came out of that city a, a very healthy, vibrant community of believers in Jesus, the church of Corinth. Two letters are written to them. But the church in Corinth was the wealthier church. They were in the south. The churches in the north were more poor. Paul asked originally just for Corinth to consider giving to the beleaguered Jerusalem church at the time. Again, I want to rehash this completely, but Jerusalem was suffering. They were under economic uh, you know, difficulties. Uh, they had been oppressed. They were being persecuted. Their property was being, I mean, they were, they were having it hard. And Paul felt that the Gentile churches, predominantly Gentile churches that had been planted because of the, the largesse and blessing of the church in Jerusalem, he felt like it was time to return the favor. 
And so he says, I think we need to show our unity in Jesus despite our cultural differences. And we need to raise a fund to help the church in Jerusalem, who, who without whom there wouldn't even be churches here right now. And so he tells that to Corinth. Corinth was the first one to sign on. We will do it. And Paul takes the, goes up and visits the churches in the north. He tells them about what Corinth decided. And they get all excited. And they actually give to, in a way that, that stunned Paul. Because they were poor themselves. So he's amazed that the churches who were poor themselves would give the way they did so magnificently. The Bible says it out of the abundance of their poverty. They gave, right, to a, a church that they wanted to bless. And part of what inspired them was they had heard about what the Corinthians had done. That's the context of what we're about to read. Walk, walk with me. I'm just going to go through this fairly rapidly, but I want us to at least appreciate what's happening here. 2 Corinthians 9, verse number 1. Now he, Paul writes, again, you just heard the context of what he was writing about. He says, now it's superfluous for me. It's really unnecessary for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. So follow with me, verse, verse 2. For I know your readiness, of which, you know what? I really don't need to follow up on the promise and pledge you made about giving to that fund. Because it's like they had made the promise, but they actually hadn't completed it, which is ironic because the churches in the north, they who had far less, when they heard the news, they just gave right away. So they had already given. But Corinth, who had had the initial idea, they were kind of dragging their feet. So Paul says, you know, I, I really don't know if it's necessary for me to remind you, but I do want to remind you about it anyway. I know your readiness. I know it's in your heart to do this anyway. In fact, I've been boasting about you to the people up in, Mas in Macedonia. I think you need to know that I've been bragging about you to the northerners up there, about how ready you were to give. He says, and I've been telling them about your zeal. And because of that, he says, you know, um, I, I've been t telling them that you've been ready since last year and that your zeal, because of your readiness, your desire to give, your enthusiasm that I told them about, it actually stirred them up as well. And they did it. But I, so I, I need you to know that, that I actually used you as an example and they've already responded. He says, but what I'm doing is, look at verse three, I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove to be empty in the matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Basically what I'm doing is I'm sending an advanced team to remind you to finish the thing that you promised because I'm bringing the, the, the representatives from the north who have far less than you and they've already fulfilled their giving. They just did it and I bragged on you. I told them about you and I'm afraid that if I bring them and then we come and you haven't actually done it, it's going to make all of us look bad. It's going to make it look like I was manipulating them, and it's going to make them, they hold you in high esteem. They're going to think a whole lot less of you. That's the gist of what's going on here. He says, otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, look what he says, verse 4, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to, to you and arrange in advance the gift that you had promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as something we have to try to work out of you, an exaction. The point is this, and then he drops into a principles. This is for our life too. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, sowing is, a, is the idea of spreading the seed, blessing will reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as, as he or she has decided in their heart, not reluctantly under a compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God, he loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, in other words, God just wants to bless your life. You may abound in every good work. As it is written, and he quotes from Psalm, the Psalms, and he says, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So he grounds his statement in scripture of the Older Testament. And then he says this, God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply, this is verse 10, your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He basically says this, look, you can never outgive God. And don't forget, whatever you so in life, you're going to reap that. There's a principle. What you plant in the ground is the crop you get. A vast majority of the time. That's what it means when it says we reap what we sow. So Paul's really trying to remind them for a variety of reasons. Look what he does, you guys. He starts out by saying, I think so highly of you. I, I know I don't even need to tell you this, but you know, I'm just reminding you, follow through. Secondly, you know, your example inspired other people to step out in faith. Also, I really need you to follow through because I don't want them to think anything less of you. I think so highly of you. And what's more, remember this, church, you can never outgive God. Plus, whatever you give, it ultimately comes back to you. Be the blessing you were created to be. Be this type of person. Be this generous person, this person who overflows. That's what he's getting at. He then goes on. We'll just finish this last. This will be the last part of the scripture we look at. He says, carrying out this social relief work, watch this, involves far more than just helping the needs, you know, helping meet the bare needs of poor Christians. So he's, he's basically saying it's way more than just maybe what it seems just in the giving of itself, right? He says it also produces an abundant and bountiful thanksgiving to God. It, it does so much good. This relief offering is a prod to live at your very best. Don't run past that too fast. What is he saying? He goes, it's a blessing. Why? Because it's a growth opportunity. Think about this. He's saying it's a growth opportunity. It presents you with something um, that will call out the best in you. There are things that God will bring into our lives that will present us with a choice that God sometimes is trying to utilize in our lives to bring out the best in us. And a lot of times, in those, those are the places where we wrestle. Do I, want to, do I feel, is this really you, God? Should I respond this way? But a lot of times, God, Paul was saying, look, he's going, don't be mad at me, because he's saying, actually, this, this issue, he says, what I'm asking of you is actually an op a really a growth opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to be, and he'll use the word, we'll use our, the word that we used, not nominal, but phenomenal. It's an opportunity for you to really step out and to, to live into what you say you believe. It's an opportunity for you to be your best. See that? God, listen, whether it's at work or in our families, in our own, in our own lives, there are going to come moments where the Lord is saying, okay, between you and me, this is your opportunity to live out your faith, to be your best. Come on, step this up, right? There are moments where God will say that to us. And we don't always, sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't, but that's what he was saying to them. And, and look, so go further. Look what he says. He says, showing your gratitude to God by being openly obedient to the plain meaning of the message of Christ. 
You show your gratitude through your generous offerings for your needy brothers and sisters. That is, by helping out, you're showing the reality of who you are and what you are. And really, you're doing this, this gratitude, really, that shows up in your life. is just going to flow out as a blessing to everybody. Meanwhile, moved by the extravagance of God in our, your lives, they're going to, in turn, respond by praying for you in passionate, passionate intercession for whatever you need. Do you, okay, I just read, do you understand what's going on? What he's saying? He's saying, look, you give out of your blessing to them who are hurting. This is what's going to happen. And this is how the body works. Watch the rhythm of the exchange. He says, and what they're going to do when they receive that, you think they're just going to, they can't give you back anything, but what they can do is give you back, they can give you back their heart and their prayers for you. And those prayers for you that they give earnestly, sincerely, that intercession they make for you as a people, he goes, don't underestimate the power of what that is actually going to bring back to you. He's saying, you give, that's great. You get the blessing of giving. They get the blessing of what you give. And then they return it back to you in a form of prayer for your blessing. He goes, do you see how it's all working, all working together? And he starts getting excited. Look what he ends up saying. He goes, he goes and, and they'll, they'll respond by praying for you in passionate intercession for whatever you need. This, thank God. Paul gets excited. Thank God for his, this gift, his gift. Gift. No language can praise it enough. There are no words that are able to explain how much we've been blessed with by God in Jesus. And he says, and you know what? He's okay. I hope I can convey it. He's marveling. The reason he's getting excited is because in his mind he's thinking, this is what it's all about. Pushing past the barriers that keep people apart. Remember, he's Jewish. His burden has been for the Gentile church, the non-Jewish people. He's saying the barriers that other people can't get past in Christ. See what's happening. We're all woven together as one because of what Jesus has done. He goes, this indescribable words can't explain the goodness of God in Christ. He just is like super happy. And I love that because it does remind us of what the Lord can do. And now, basically... I will say this. Paul was not talking. Just stay with me on this one. Paul wasn't really talking about their core giving. He wasn't talking about giving to their own church, their home church. He has just assumed that. What he was talking about with the Corinthians was something that they were to give in addition to their core giving. We call that an offering, something that was given to a purpose. Now, listen, over the months, I've had some amazing conversations with people, particularly these last few weeks. I'm not exaggerating to say that there have been more than a few who have said, you know, I'm wrestling with this thing, on this giving thing with God and trusting Him. And I told the story about how I have been since a boy. I was trained to, to tithe unto the Lord. I give a tenth. I was told one out of ten of my dime, I give it. And I've been doing it in Sunday school ever since. It's been a way of life. I believe in the promises of God, what Jesus taught us, what God taught us um, in Malachi. I believe the words of the Lord have blessing and promise in them. And that what, how we manage what He entrusts us with ultimately will flow out in far greater measure in the way we manage our lives and our relationships. I believe there is no way to measure the goodness of God that comes when we honor Him with our first fruits, our best. I was talking to different people, and some people were wrestling with this truth, and others were saying, you know, you know I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking maybe God wants me to step up. And others were saying, you know, I've always struggled in this area. This is a very delicate issue I've had. Then I had a couple of conversations with people who honestly... I, if I'm really honest, I go, you, you are way more faithful at this than I am. 
And some people I've talked to, because I started asking questions, really, but one, one man, I had this, I said to him, because I was watching what he was, I've watched his life. I said, you're amazing, because you're very faithful in your giving. You give not only faithfully to this body in your tithe, but I've watched you, all the things that we do, Compassion Sundays, Spirit of Giving, the ministries we support, all these things. You give towards these things, the camps. All, I mean, it's like, those are your offerings. And I go, and then that's not even counting what you do outside. I go, how do you, like, how do you know what the Lord wants you to give to and what he doesn't? And then how do you decide that? And how do you decide what you're, so I was just, I wanted to know because I was just talking. And then he said this. I was thinking that he had this elaborate system. He went before the Lord and he just said this to me. He said this and now initially it may not seem like it's a big deal what he said. But it hit me, it hit me good. He says, well, I ask myself this question. I say, how much money am I going to give the Lord? And then I ask the second question. How much of the Lord's money am I going to keep? I said, what did you just say? Right? Because he said, I ask how much I'm supposed to give, and then I ask myself how much of the Lord's money I'm supposed to keep. Now, see, I'm a tither. I, but that was, that's like a different, that was a different level for me. I said, wow, you know, I need to hear that. I didn't think that. Because what you're saying is, all I have is the Lord's. I'm just the manager. I'm the dispenser of the blessing. Oh, I said, okay. That's kind of what Paul was getting at here. Now I'm going to put a couple. Let me tell you. I'm, now I'm okay. I'm going to take it from giving of our resources to the larger idea of generosity flowing in our lives. I'll explain to you what I mean. Here's a principle. Here's what I would like us to wrestle with in the few minutes we have. Number one, like if we want to jot it down, we can. God wants generosity and faithfulness to characterize the way we give and live. He wants generosity, key phrase, to be a way of life. What I mean by that is God wants us to live big, not small. I've been wrestling with this. It may have to do with our resources. It may have to do with the way we invest relationally. But sometimes there's a temptation to get so tight and, and small and defined by our fear that we start to just get that. It's like you can have a lot and be bound up in fear. And you can have a little and be very free. Generosity is a way of life. It's a way of approaching life. There's a largesse to it. There's a, is a, it's, it's an abundance approach. It's not about how little there is and there's only so much of the pie to go around and if I'm not careful, I won't get my peace. It's a different, it's, it's, it's not a scarcity approach. There's an abundance approach to it. You see what I'm saying? And I was thinking, Lord, you, I know you want me to have an abundance, a bigness, not a smallness, not a tightness, not a clenched fist, not a, not a like, I gotta cling to it, I gotta hold it, I gotta just, you know, tighten my world, I gotta be small, calculating. You know, it's, it's like God is a big, he's a giver of blessings. That's what Paul was getting at. He was saying God blesses in amazing ways. When you do that, it opens you up. That's what he was getting at. He was saying it just kind of frees you up to not get, st okay, not get stuck in places. To live that abundant life. I mean, that's what I'm looking at here. I'm going, Lord, I want to live like that. You know what? Check this verse out. This is from the Proverbs. A lot of good, wise. You want to sit in wisdom, one proverb a day for 31. There's 31. It's like you can pick one a day and go for a month and say, I'm investing in wisdom for a month. But in Proverbs 11, look what this says about the principle of giving. It's a paradox. Initially, it doesn't make sense. But watch, what they, watch when they put this up. There is one who scatters, 
what? Yet increases more. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. Now you stop and think about that. An increase by giving away. How does that work? And there is one who withholds more than is right. Tight, bound up. But it leads to poverty of the soul and other things. Look at the verse that follows. The generous soul will be made rich. Opens things up. And I love this phrase. And he who waters will also be watered himself. When, in the other ver- another version says, when we refresh, we ourselves will be refreshed. How good is that? One of the key principles is when we become a refresher, we ourselves are refreshed. There's a principle here that is so good. I mean, okay, and I'll, and I'll just, I'll, I'll like flip it into that next thought here, which is this, that we may be most, number two, we may be most like Jesus when we give and bless others, when we genuine, generously give to bless others, we will often find that the greatest blessing will be what happens on the, listen, loved ones, on the inside of us. Indeed, the master taught us it's more blessed to give than to receive, and then he went out and did it. He modeled it. He gave it all. Couldn't give any more than he gave. I thought that, that you know, again, going back to that concept, the one who refreshes will themselves be refreshed. I thought about what Jesus said, you've given a cup of water in my name. sitting with that verse the one who refreshes will be refreshed I thought about the idea of water in, in his name and I, I was reminded because it's just the overflow the water refreshing and I remember this scene that I've always loved from a movie and I you know what it, it's like it was a gr- the film itself was is a classic but there's a particular scene, and I went back and I rewatched it, and I watched it in two ways. I watched it first, I watched it with both the audio and without the audio. And I was looking at it, and it, it, some of you may have seen the movie Ben-Hur. Now, I know there was a remake here. I suspect it will soon be forgotten. But the, the original classic, 1959, 11 Academy Awards, William Wyler, director extraordinaire. The story based on Lou Wallace's novel, designed to to get people to look at Jesus very different. Story about Ben-Hur, wealthy son of a merchant who is betrayed by a friend and he is sentenced to a life of slavery under Rome. Looks like he's lost everything. And there's this one scene, I've always remembered it, comes back to me whenever I think about the idea of refreshing someone. He's being marched through the desert with a group of, of slaves and criminals or people who've just been, you know, tied up in a line and being marched through the desert on their way to the galleys for their life. And he comes, they come to this town, small little outpost, Roman outpost town. There's a well there. They're so thirsty. They want the water so bad can't move. They move. They're going to get beat to a pulp. They got to stand there and wait. The people come from the town, come out to start giving them water. But the Romans says, first us. They give all the, the soldiers get the water. Then while the, the prisoners are kind of waiting, the, the horses. Then the prisoners. And he's there. Ben Hur's there. You know, again, he's been betrayed falsely. He's just angry, but he's so thirsty. They all are thirsty. Slowly but surely, there are people coming from the town that start giving him water. Finally, he's just, and you can see it, he's just like, oh, I, I, oh, so bad, so bad, so I want that water. 
He can see it, but he can't move. He's afraid. And then he finally, they come to him and give him the water. Right? And right when he's about to get it, the soldier walks up. Not him! Takes, takes it, takes the water, right? Drinks it down. Spits it out. Not him. And he, he cracks. It, the, the way it's portrayed, he, cra- he just cracks. He falls. He's just like, he falls to the ground, and he just gets down on the ground, and he says, God, help me. Right? And he's got nothing. And all of a sudden, it, man, the way they did it is so, it's so awesome. Because when, the, when they walked into the town, you saw a little pan, and the pan shows a guy in, in, a, in a kind of like a darker area, like almost like a workroom, looking outside to see what the commotion is all about. He kind of makes his way. You never see his face. You never see anything of his front, only his backside. And he looks like he's in a carpenter's shop. And as hers there on the ground, Judah Ben-Hur on the ground, deprived of everything, all of a sudden you see this figure. You never see the face, only the head. But then you see this moment, the shadow, and then you see the hands. And he... There's one hand, there's a ladle in the other hand. This is the part that I, I it, it takes it, it captured, it was Jesus. It captured it so beautifully because it's like he pours the water first onto him and then he, 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 he just gently, and then he pulls him up and he, he, he just like, the part that I, is the hands. And the only thing you see of Jesus is what you see in the eyes of her. Ben Hur as he's looking at him, and he can't, and he's just there's to drink. And, but there was the tenderness, the gentleness, the offering of the water. And what that does is it plants a seed in the man. In the midst of all the hatred, all that was wrong, there's that, the water, the water is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for not just his thirst, natural thirst, but for the spiritual thirst of his soul. And when that, then the soldier walks up, what are you doing, right? And then all, Jesus gets up, he just stands up. Again, you never see it. His front, never his face. He just stands up. And the anger, the evil, comes at him. And the way it's cast, he's just like, he just backs off. It's like, and here is, you know, get up! And then so they get going again, and he's just looking back, right? He's, he's been affected. His, he, 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 he can't, he's not, that seed... It's going to germinate. Look, you and, the, you and I, first off, the two things for me, besides the fact that the movie's four hours long, which is a long film, I will tell you that. <laughs> but for me, personally, I found myself thinking about this. One, yes, I, I said, you know what, Lord, I, I, I have been there where I felt so dry, so beat, so defeated, so hopeless. In certain areas that I said, Lord, only... I need, I, need, I need your tenderness. And it was an odd thing to see. There's something about it. It's counter, you just don't see it like that. But there was a tenderness in the way it was conveyed. Sometimes art can convey something of the message of Christ in a way that is, is, is it's quite powerful. And I still thought, man, they, whoever came up with that the only way to see Jesus was through the eyes of the one being blessed and then the tenderness of the hands and the giving of the water. I was like, 
Lord, I've, 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 I've known your touch. I've, I've been that man. And then I thought, what's the other principle? The principle, of course, is the giving of water. It's what we've been talking about with generosity. It's like when we give the water, we always say, we give it in your But what do we say? That when we give, in a way, when we give, we ourselves are the, blessed, the ones who are being blessed. That's what we've been called to do. This is the way we, we were meant to be this way. This is the way. I look at that and I go, Lord, that's what I want to do. I want to I refresh others. I want to be able to do what you do. When we're like you, then we refresh. That's what we do. And then, but that can only happen when we allow you to refresh us too. It's all, it's all intertwined. So, so much, okay, say with So much of what the Apostle Paul is, is appealing for is anchored in the why. You know what the why is? It's the good that it will do. He says, do you understand what will happen as a result of your generosity and faithfulness? Come on, my friends at Corinth, it will bless you. It will bless them. It will build the unity of the church. It will testify to those outside the circle that even the barrier of Jew and Gentile can be overcome by the unifying message and power of Christ. He goes, truly, that's why Paul goes, truly, this good news knows no bounds. He's excited. And that leads me to this last piece, which is this. It's just my reflection on it. I'm hoping submit it out there. But, but honestly, a lot of times our gratitude is connected to our generosity and vice versa. God wants to fill us with a gratitude that overflows into generosity. Just stay with me. There are times where I felt sorry for myself. You may have felt that way too. Using the analogy, he was seething with resentment at the injustice. The water of Christ. When I've tasted your goodness, it changes me. I can't stay like this. I can't stay locked up. I can't stay in my cave. When, when I really understand how, when we understand how much we are loved, how much God has given for us, how much he has not only for us in this life that we could never earn, but the life which is yet to come, a blessing upon blessing, life overflowing, the undying life of God out of your belly, out of the very center of your being will flow rivers of water. That, that when we understand that, it creates a gratitude in us that causes us to never be able to just say, I will be defined by this. I will not be, it's what happens, we start being defined by, by what God has done in our lives and it starts showing up because we're not, we don't allow ourselves to just get stuck in lockdown places because our heart has a gratitude in it that is reminding ourselves that Lord, I know this is, look, how can I who've been blessed so much withhold blessing? How can I, who've been blessed so much, accept so much less than what you want me to be? Give me a gratitude for your love that cannot be quenched, that overflows into generosity that affects all of my life. Doesn't mean I get it all the time right, but help me, Lord, to doubt my doubts and to what? Believe my beliefs. Let's pray. So, Lord, I thank you because the privilege of being able to talk about this, share about this. You've given everything, and I think you call us to places of surrender. Even the song that we close with, it, it, think, it really invites us this idea of just surrendering our heart to you, the giving God who gives everything, who calls us to be great givers. And whether we identify more with the one who, is being, who needs refreshment, which we may at this time in our lives feel like, Lord, I just need the water from your hand and the gentleness of your touch in my life. Or whether it's that feeling of resonance with the need to give away the blessing 
to the people who are around us, to be that type of a person who lives big for you, gracious, generous, good, godly, a blesser. May we be that, the refresher of others, knowing that the ones who refresh will themselves always be refreshed. That's just the way you want us to live. So bless this closing minutes, bless this song, bless our time of giving. May you be honored in it all in this church, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.